Today we're going to get into uh, part number five of our Armor of God series. We've got, after today, we've got about three more Sundays, maybe four, and then we'll finish this series because I do want to take the time to make sure we cover the last two elements of the, the armor itself. And then there's that, that last piece that a lot of people don't, they don't incorporate into it, and that is praying in the Spirit. And we're going to talk about that in, at great length that particular Sunday, uh, but that's about three weeks away. So, so far we've talked about the belt of truth, we've talked about the breastplate of righteousness. Last week we dealt with the shoes or the preparation of the gospel of peace. And today we're going to be looking at the shield of faith. And uh, as you know, we, we stopped bringing out the full armor earlier because I kept knocking it down. And so we're going to try to just keep it simple so I don't tear anything up up here on the platform. But look at uh, Ephesians 6. If you'll turn there this morning, if you're in a new version, all the notes are there. <clears throat> And I don't know, but it's hot up on this platform this morning, hotter than normal for some reason. All right, so look at verse 13. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now we're going to kind of walk through this this morning. I'm going to kind of give you some backstory as to kind of what we believe that Paul might have been thinking because he uses the the illustration uh, of the of the armor to kind of explain his whole process and what he's talking about here when we combat in spiritual warfare. Two thoughts here in verse number 16. The first one is this: take up the shield of faith, which we'll deal with. And then extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. Let's take on the fiery darts first. We'll talk about that first. That'll take the least amount of time, and then we'll get into the, the faith part of it here toward the latter end. Simply put, the fiery darts are the wiles or the schemes of the evil one that is mentioned in, in uh, verse 11 of Ephesians 6. Put on the full armor so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. In the first teaching in this series, I spent... A great deal of time talking about those things and if you, if you didn't have time to look at it go back and take a look at it but basically the fiery darts or the schemes are uh, they include temptation they include accusation persecution slander heresy other attempts to defeat uh, Christ followers and also to divide the church to divide the church and so all of the arrows that the enemy throws at us are to be countered by faith they're to be countered by faith so let's talk about this. That's the fiery darts, and that's about all we're going to say about that this morning. I don't know that we need to expound on that any more than what we did in the first teaching. So let's look now at the shield itself. We usually think of the shield as one carried on the arm, which is kind of what this one is. Uh, they would not, it would not have looked like this in, in ancient Rome. Uh, this is actually all made out of all metal. It would not have looked like this, but this is about the size that the, the Roman soldier would have normally, or the armor bearer would have normally carried. Uh, when they went into battle. Uh, we think of it as this one. It's maneuvered to repel the attacks. If someone's coming this way, if you're right-handed, you know, you've got it here, and you're fighting with your sword, and you're doing this, and it repels the attacks. Um, but the other side of it is, and the, the, the shield that I want you to think about and try to put this in your mind, it wouldn't have looked like this at all. Maybe the shape would have been round or square, but it would have been made out of wood, with leather and maybe a little bit of brass. 
maybe a little bit of brass, because we're not necessarily into a whole lot of iron at that time when it comes to life in general. The reason that they made it, that's, that's the materials that were at their disposal. But notice what it says. It says so that you can quench the fiery darts. If you hit a metal shield with a, with a flaming arrow, what does it do? It bounces off. It doesn't quench anything. It could ricochet and hit the person next to you. It could bounce off and set the ground on fire around you. The reason that they used the shield back in those days, made out of wood or made out of leather, so that when the arrow or the dart hit it, it would sink up and it would snuff out the fire. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we get a little further into this. The word for shield here is a word that is actually related to the Greek word for door. So we think in terms of the shield that's held by the, by the, by the soldier, the handheld shield, but it's really not. He's, Paul is not referring to that particular shield here in Ephesians 6. The shield that he's referring to is the big shield that's usually carried by the armor bearer in front of the soldier. It's about two and a half feet wide and about four feet tall. And it is literally made to be used in a fashion that you could sit it in front of you and get down behind it. You could stand shoulder to shoulder and create a wall. Or you can get down on your knees and get in a bunch and hold it up over your head because they would shoot them and lob them over. So they would get over them. And so you could put it over your head and they would still hit and they would still go into it. And you would soak them in, in water before battle. So that the wood would be wet and the leather would be wet so that when the fiery darts or the fiery arrows hit the shield, it would go out. If you didn't have that, if you had dried wood on your shield and it went into it, guess what happens with dried wood? It catches on fire. And so what would happen, and that was another part of it, if you didn't understand the concept of battle and what you've got to do in the preparation for battle... You would go into it with a dry shield. The, the enemy would hit you with a fiery dart. Your shield would catch fire. What would you do with a fiery shield? You would throw it down or get away from it. If you had the small one, you would just throw it down. You're open. If you had the big one, you would get out from behind it because it's on fire. Thus opening yourself up to more attacks by the enemy. Without the shield, you're vulnerable. We tracking so far? All right. Now, he's not referring to the round one, but the large one. And the thing that I want you to see here, and this is just a side note, a public service announcement worked into a sermon. Okay? We have our small group expo today. I just talked to you about how Roman soldiers would stand shoulder to shoulder, back to back, and they would sometimes have the shields in front of them, or they would get down and they would cover themselves with, it's called a phalanx. P-H-A-L-A-N-X. It literally means coming together against the enemy. One of the things that we say here at GNU is that we don't want anybody fighting alone. Small groups is a way that GNU creates a phalanx. We all have our shields of faith. We're standing shoulder to shoulder. We're in battle together. We have people behind us, people on the side of us, people in front of us. We have our shields. And when the enemy's throwing, we fight together to repel the attacks of the enemy. So what am I telling you today? Side note, PSA. Here's public service announcement. Sign up for a small group. Okay? See, Tommy, I, got, I did work it in. All right, there we go. So before battle, again, they would dip, they would soak their shields into water so when the darts would hit them, the wet hide and the wood would extinguish the darts. Now, here's the thing. Here's a, here's a personal application for the shield of faith for you and I today. You don't, we don't walk around with wood and, and leather shields. 
but we still need the water in our life, okay? The Christ follower needs to be regularly dipped into the water of God's word so that we can be replenished and fully functional because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we are cleansed by the washing of the water of the word. That's how we're cleansed. So we need to continually do this. So the application, even though it's 2,000 years old, is still very appropriate for you and I today. It's why the word is there. It's why the word there. Uh, in, in one of my commentaries, it said this, faith in Ephesians is a radical openness to God that allows Christ full indwelling and brings a deeper grasp of unfathomable love. Take up the shield of faith, suggest a deliberate and positive holding on to God that is revealed in the gospel. A firm and resolute dependence on the Lord which quenches the fiery attempts of the enemy to harm and spread panic. When you have the shield of faith, when you are living with the shield of faith and you are constantly replenishing the shield of faith and you're keeping it, keeping it saturated with prayer, keeping it saturated in God's word, anytime the enemy throws a dart at you, you know that you're covered because you have the shield of faith in your life. The shield of faith is an absolute necessity in the life and the discipleship of a believer and a Christ follower. Well, I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough faith. How do I get faith? Well, let's talk about what faith is to begin with. What is faith? What is faith? I've been, in this, as I've been studying for this, I've been kind of taken back by it because uh, I thought maybe, you know, with all of the stuff on faith down through the years, you know, and somebody's written something that, that makes enough sense that I could bring it down to my level and maybe give you something. The one guy, he wrote 25 Steps to Faith. Dear Lord, <laughs> 25 steps to faith? You know? Then I found one that says three steps to faith. I'm going, okay, that's a little bit more my speed. Let's, let's condense. Let's get it. Let's get the, the cliff note version of faith. And then five. And then there's the other guy wrote 10. And there's 12. Every, and everywhere I went, there's all these steps to faith. And as I've read through some of these, I didn't read all the articles because, I, quite frankly, I don't want to know 25 steps to faith. I'm just, <laughs> that's a lot of steps. You know, it's a lot of steps, and I just can't see how that could be right. I mean, if Jesus says that we come to, we're, we're saved by grace through faith, and that's just about believing and receiving, then is there really 25 steps to that? No, it's, there's not. And so after, after kind of getting discouraged as I looked at all that stuff, I just kind of set it aside and I said, okay, let's see what God's Word really says about how we what, is, what faith is and how we have it and how we exercise faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. For those of you that are New King James and King James fans and you haven't memorized this way, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay. So basically it's, it's about hope and confidence and assurance. The definition of faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. We're not looking at 25 steps or 10 steps or 3 steps. We're just looking at complete trust and confidence. Faith, as I understand it, and as I think the Bible teaches it, is a trusting in God that enables the Christ follower or the believer to press on steadfastly persevering whatever the future holds for him or her. 
That's what faith is. That's what faith is. That's what faith is. It's, it's, it's not this mysterious thing that is out there. Faith is simply a complete trust or confidence that God has us. And he's going to be with us no matter what happens to us. The, word, the, word, the Greek word for faith is P-I-S-T-I-P-I-S-T-I-S. P-I-S-T-I-S. It occurs more in Hebrews than in any other New Testament book. In chapter 11 of Hebrews, it occurs 24 times alone. But in Hebrews, the idea of faith is not on the faith by which we're justified or declared righteous. It's not that. But rather the faith in which a believer lives their life. When you read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and you start going down through the book of chapter 11 of Hebrews, you see all kind of stuff. I mean, you got guys that are, they're, they're dealing with king, they're slaying giants, they're killing lions, they're, just, they're, they're subduing kingdoms, they're doing all this stuff. And they're enlisted in the hall of faith. This is what faith is. By faith they did this, by faith they did that, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And you get down about the last two-thirds, maybe the last three quarters, the last quarter of that book, and it's, you know, they... they they destroyed kingdoms and strongholds and did all this stuff by faith. And then it says this. But some of them were killed by lions. Some of them died by the sword. Some of them lost everything that they had and ended their life in destitution. But yet, here we see them in what we've come to call the hall of faith. And it flies in the face of the, the, the prosperity doctrine that's out there that says if you have faith, you can name it and claim it, and you can have a million dollars and all this kind of stuff. You never get sick. You never, have, you never have a loss for money. Everything's good. Whatever car you want, you just claim it, and you name it, and you get it, and all that. You know, if you want a new boat, you claim it. Boom, you get a new boat. It'll be, it'll be at your house before you get home today. <laughs> that's kind of the way when you take it to the extreme. And I'm, I'm not trying to be you know, mean-spirited about this. I'm just saying this is, this is the way the hyper-faith movement says it should work. You name it, you declare it, and it happens. You know, it's just like the guy that says, you give us $100 and God's going to give you $1,000. You give us $1,000, God's going to give you $10,000. He might. I'm not going to tell you he's going to do that. What I'm going to tell you is if you give to God, God's going to give back to you. Now, it may not be in money. It may be an additional job. Oh, but I don't want to do that. I just want to, you know. God's not the United States government. He's not going to pay you to stay home. Okay? He's not going to do that. I'm sorry. I should not have went there this morning. But <laughs> Dear Lord, we've been trying to hire workers for the daycare. For three years, and we, can, we are having a hard time getting the full staff because, quite frankly, when the government pays you to stay home, people don't want to come to work for some reason. I don't understand it. Okay, I'm done with that. I feel better. I'm done. Get back to faith. <laughs> Maybe I just need to pray and we just go to the house. I don't know. But the, the deal with Hebrews 11 is you have all of these people of faith that are doing all these great exploits, but then you have all these people of great faith that die grotesque death in their faith. 
but yet they're commended for their faith. And then, then it says this, then it says this, that even though the world was not worthy of them, there's something greater in store. So you see, as, as, as much as we need our faith in our day-to-day life, we also hold fast to our faith for the inheritance in eternity. So it's about now and the future. Okay? So let's go a little bit further with this. Let's go a little bit further. Faith in Hebrews is closely connected to the steadfast endurance with inheriting the promises of God. Hebrews 6.12. It says, we don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherits what has been promised. It enables the entirety of the life of the believer <clears throat> to be regulated by the promises of God, i.e. the future. And by spiritual realities that are presently invisible in spite of adversity and in discouraging circumstances. It doesn't matter what you go through. If you carry the shield of faith and you wash it and you water it every day, when the enemy throws darts, and he will every day, the, the shield of faith will quench those. It will snuff them out. And you can stay shielded by that faith. Regardless of what is going on around you, you can still hold fast to faith. We see it example after example after example in Hebrews 11. I want to do exploits. Great. The greatest exploit that you and I could possibly do is become a follower of Jesus Christ, live as faithful to to him and his commandments as we possibly can. When we die, we go see Jesus and we live for him in eternity. That is the greatest exploit that anybody could ever do. I want to subdue kingdoms. Okay, here's one you can subdue. Your own. Your own. Start there. Because if you're faithful in the small things, he'll give you better, bigger responsibility and bigger opportunities. So here's the thing I want to ask you. Is it faith in God or is it faithfulness to God? What does the shield of faith encompass? Is it faith in God? Or is it faithfulness to God? And, and I submit to you this morning that it's both. 1 Peter 5 says that we're to be alert and of sober mind. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. I don't want to suffer. I'm just going to declare that I'm not suffering anymore. Yeah, tell me how that works for you. Okay? Because it's not about that. It's not about that. We have, we, we have faith people that come in and they, they tell us, faith healers, they will tell us, oh, you're going, to, you're going to rise up from this bed of affliction. And then you die. And their excuse is, well, you didn't have enough faith. And I submit to you that that is just malarkey. There's an element of the sovereignty of God that's involved here. And I don't mean the sovereignty that's predestined that you have a check mark or an X, you know, the check mark goes to heaven, the X mark goes to hell at birth, you know, when you pop out, God goes, okay, no, yeah. You're in, you're out, you're out, you're out, you're in, you're in. I mean, Let's think about that for just a second. And this is not even in my notes anywhere, but I just... Why would we believe something like that? Here, let me ask you something. Why would I want to serve a God that determines my eternal destination before the foundation of the world 
He puts an X on my head, tells me I'm going to heaven or, or going to hell before I'm born, predetermines all of those things, and still sends his son to die a grotesque death on a cross. That doesn't, that doesn't even make sense. That doesn't even make sense. I'm, I can, my email's going to fill up this week. <laughs> because it's, the reason it doesn't make sense is because that's not how it works. There's no faith in that. There's no free will in that. There's no free moral choice. There's no making a decision to follow Jesus Christ in that. And who would want to serve a God that sends his son to die for people that are already predestined to go to heaven or hell? He didn't do that. We have a choice. We have a choice. We have a choice to live our life by faith in Jesus Christ. Not just through justification to righteousness, but through every day making a decision to stand firm in the faith. A determined resolution is the product of an unshakable faith in God. Faith in God says, God's going to see me through whatever I'm going through. Faithfulness to God says just the way Job did, and that is, though God kills me, I'm still going to trust him with my life. So where does faith come from? Where does faith come from? Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Jesus Christ. Once again, once again, the word. The word of God. The importance of the word of God. Once again, we see, as we did last week, that the word is both an offensive and a defensive weapon. We haven't gotten to the sword of the spirit yet, which we will, which is the word of God. But here, the shield of faith is a defensive weapon, but we gain faith through reading the word of God. We prepare our faith through saturation the reading of the water of the word of God. The word of God is the center of everything to the life of the believer. If you're not reading the book, if you're not into the book, then you have, you're anemic and you have no authority and you have no power and you have no ability to stand against the evil when it comes against you. Jesus gives us the example in the wilderness when he's going through temptation. He never argued with Satan. He just simply said, it is written. It is written. It is written. So what is Jesus doing? He's modeling for us spiritual warfare. We come into spiritual warfare with the word of God. We build, we have our shield of faith, and we water that thing, and we develop that shield of faith through the word of God. Faithfulness in God, faith in God, and faithfulness to God. That's how the shield of faith we work. Once again, it's both offensive and defensive. Yeah, but faith is just this weird thing, this mystic. Listen to me. You show faith every single solitary day. Every time you get on an airplane, you show faith in the guy that's behind that little box or the lady that's behind that little, that little door. You hope, and with, by faith, you get on the plane. By faith, you stay on the plane. By faith, you take off in the plane. By faith, you fly in the plane. By faith, you hope you can land the plane. And then you get off and you kiss the ground because by faith, you made it to where you were going. That's faith. Every time you get in your vehicle and you go somewhere, you drive down the road, you're literally taking your life in your own hands these days. But by faith, you believe that you can get to the destination that you're trying to get to and that everybody else is going to stay out of your way. That's faith. Every time you send your kids to school, every time you send your kids to a friend's house to for a sleepover, every time you leave them next door, 
in, in, in United Kids. That's faith. That's faith. It's time that we as followers of Jesus Christ have the same faith in God that we have in airplane pilots and teachers and friends and parents and other things. Because honestly, faith is not some formula, it's not some mantra, it's not some mystery that's given only to a few special people in ministry or on television. Faith is simply hearing the word of God and choosing to believe what it says. Then, living it out, even when it's hard or it doesn't make sense. That's what faith is. One of the greatest examples we, were, we had our, in our staff devotion this past Wednesday, we, um, we were talking about Matthew chapter 4 and the calling of the first disciples. Matthew and Mark and Luke all record this event, but Matthew and Mark record it exactly the same. Looks a little bit different, but the result is the same. And here's, here's what you see when Jesus walks up to, to Peter, Simon at the time, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and says, hey, they're, they're mending their nets. He goes, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And the word says, immediately, they went and followed Jesus. A little bit further down the road, there's James and John, the sons, and their dad, they're mending some more nets. They're getting ready to go fishing. He goes, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Same two words, immediately and at once. They follow Jesus. There's a pattern. There's a pattern. These guys left their vocational calling, their life vocational calling, and followed Jesus. Why? By faith. By faith. That's faith. Once, at once and immediately. Faith is, is really such a simple thing, and I think that's part of the problem that people have with the gospel message in its entirety. It's not rocket science. Thank God it's not algebra. I mean, you know, I was fine as long as we had numbers. And I did fine in spelling in English with the letters. But when they put the two of them together, it just screwed me up. I couldn't do it. You say, well, algebra's easy to you. Took it four times in high school. Finally, they said, I'm going to give you a C if you'll just get out of my class. <laughs> Had to take it in college. Thank God to Bill Cast, Brian Wells, and Will Ray. Guys in this church got me through college algebra. And if God is my witness, I'll never do another algebraic equation as long as I live. And the other side of this is I don't even remember what I did. It's not that. Faith is absolutely the most essential thing in the life of a believer. Yeah. And it is the easiest thing in the life of a believer to get there. It's really a simple concept. You hear the word, which means you read it. You believe the word, and you live the word. Sounds an awful lot like what we learn in the freedom series that we teach around here in our small groups a lot. Engage, accept, and apply. You engage the word of God, you accept it as absolute truth, and then you apply it to your life and you live it. It means that we're naturally supernatural every day of our life. We get up every day and we take up our shield of faith and we make sure we submerse it in the water, which is the word of God. And we walk out every day with our shield. 
Sometimes we may have the small one. Sometimes we may need the big one. Sometimes we need multiple people around us with the same faith that we have so that we can, we can develop that cord of three strands that's not easily broken. Standing shoulder to shoulder, side to side with individuals. A person of faith is an individual who reads God's word, takes God, God's word at his word, and lives his or her life accordingly. So the question this morning is this. How's your faith? How's your faith? How often do you read God's word? How often do you engage in spiritual things? If Sunday morning is it and you never open the Bible during the week and you never do anything like that, then I can tell you that your shield is dry if you even had one at all. And I'm, I'm, I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying that we're justified, yes, by faith. And we're made righteous through belief in Jesus Christ. But there's a whole lot of doing that has to take place. And you can argue that that's works righteousness if you want to, but I'm telling you straight up, the words of Jesus, when you read the Bible, it's in red when he says, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, will enter in. But only those who do the will of my Father. Who do the will of my Father. James said faith without works is dead. And dead faith means that when the enemy hits you with a fiery dart, your shield catches fire and you'll drop it, you'll step out from behind it, and it will just disintegrate. So once again, how's your faith? Let's stand all over the room. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning because this is, this is just a moment that I just, between you and I, How many people in the house today would just simply go, you know what, Phil? My shield of faith is weak, and I need to do something about it. Could I see your hand, please? Yeah. A lot of us. A lot of us. Put it right back down. Put it right back down. Okay, look at me again. You say, you've done this every week. I know. I know. I can't give you faith. I can't. No pastor can. No teacher can. All we can do is put the word in front of you. You have to engage. You have to accept it. And you have to apply it. The hearing is on you. The hearing is on you. The accepting is on you. It's a choice. And then the application is simply another choice. I choose to believe God. I choose to trust God. I choose to take his word at face value, and I choose to live, in, live accordingly to the word of God. That is the shield of faith. It's not some mysterious thing that's out there that's reserved for, for spiritual elites. It's not. It is simply put, simply put, faith is as simple as, as it gets. The application of it is where it starts getting difficult because it goes against what we want sometimes. We read God's word and it says, hey, this, and you go, I don't want to do that. 
But yet part of faith is reading it, accepting it, and living it. That's faith. I want to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Okay, great. I'd, I'd like to do that too. Sometimes I have done it before. But I've also laid hands on people, believe God for their healing, and they go to heaven. Did I not have enough faith? Did they not have enough faith? Or did God really honor his promise and say, you are now whole? I've said this to many people down through the years. After 40 years of doing this, I've been in a lot of hospitals. And I've been with a lot of families that are struggling to, to make a decision. Their families on members on life support, they're, they're struggling. You know, I don't want to show a lack of faith, Pastor, but yet, on the other hand, I know this, they wouldn't want to be this. And, I, and I've always said this, I just said, what shows the greatest faith? Letting the machine technology do what it does are putting them solely and completely into the hands of the Creator. What shows the greatest faith? I think the Creator. I've never had to stand there and make that decision for, for myself or for any, anyone in my family. hope I never do. But if I do, I hope that I can say, unto you, O God, you determine, you order, you orchestrate. You know the hairs on my head or the lack thereof. And I trust you. I trust you. I want to pray for you this morning. Tommy's going to come and close us out. And I hope that you'll get plugged into some of the groups this summer. Hebrews is going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal series for our summer study. But let me pray for you today. Father, I pray for each and every person in this room that are watching through the internet today and they'll be watching it over the next few weeks, God, I pray that that Lord will will engage our faith. That we'll get into your word. That we'll read it. That we'll hear what your word is saying to us and that we will accept it, Father. Believe what it says. And then we will live our lives accordingly. May we take up the shield of faith every day of our life and live accordingly. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. 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 Let's say the Lord's Prayer and then Tommy will close us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. God bless you, Jin Yu. I love you.